Welcome. Welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. I'm Jordan. I'm Micah. And why do, why are we here? Because this is the podcast that exists to what? Prove people wrong. When they say... Sequels. Are never better... Than the... Originals. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we cover film franchises. We go through them and we go, what the heck do we like? What the heck do we not like? And we dig in and we dive deep. We usually spend... 1 to 1.5 hours with each film. And we've covered so many series by now. By now, our second anniversary episode has come out, so we have been doing this for over two years now. We're, Doesn't we're, feel like it. I, either the last episode or this episode is... Uh, or maybe the episode before. But this is like our s- second or third... Um, uh, uh, third year episode. So we're not even close to running out with franchises. Not even a little bit close. So we are covering though the before trilogy, and today we are wrapping it all up in a we're, nice. And we're gonna do it neat before midnight, and we are gonna do it before midnight, unless this is an uncharacteristically long seven-hour podcast, which only you will I'm know this right now, it. listener. You might look down and see this is seven hours and there then you go you You just looked (laughs) monkeys always look (laughs) (laughs) but yes we're covering richard linklater's before midnight tonight we're finishing it up um before we do though but right as we're getting ready to record jordan said wait a second i'm not ready yet and i go oh okay and you said I'm just looking up the premise of A Quiet Place 2, which seemed random, but it, then it I remembered the that the IMDb homepage has the final trailer. Yes. Well, um, I haven't watched any trailers, but... Well, it just says final trailer as the description. Oh, okay. okay. But, um, so you said, you said you read the description, and your words were, oh, this isn't going to be good. Well, I don't need to read a description to know that. I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to do what those words no or is, because we don't really know yet, but I think that the chances of it being even i don't know as good as the first one is slim to none why do you think that though what's what's got you because i i, 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 I want to have this conversation i don't right think now. there's any more story to tell and it really feels like a money grab mm-hmm. more more than just anything because it's like the first one came out and everyone's like, oh my gosh, John Krasinski can do, can direct and it's horror and it's really good. And everyone saw it because it's a good movie, but by the end of it, they figured it out. Right. So what is it going to be now talking? It, I mean, the description was about, you know, they're, they're going to find out that it's not just the creatures that are lurking in the dark or that, you know, to stay on the sand path about. And it's like, okay, so they're probably just going to meet other people who are bad people. Yeah. Who are just trying to survive. Like like the classic uh, post-apocalyptic thing. And that's not saying that that's bad. That's like a thing that you kind of have to figure out in those kinds of stories. I don't think they need to figure it out. Uh-huh. Because in the last movie, the it all that mattered was figuring out how to survive. And they figured it out. So th- this is something that really cracks me up about you as a as a as a franchise person, Jordan. Is we have a movie podcast about film franchises, and anytime a sequel is announced, you're like, they shouldn't have done it. They that's shouldn't not true. have done it. <laughs> it's kind Name of name another true. time that that's happened. Well, I can't think of a time off the top mm. of my head. Oh, maybe you're right. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm always. I mean, it, it, the timing of it, I will admit, is like 
I mean, they announced it like right afterward, and the movie was so contained that it was like, really? We need another one? That's the thing. It was so self-contained. But um, maybe there is something. And I will grant them this. They did hire Killian Murphy, so he's in the movie. Fine. That's fine. But I I don't know. I just... I, I, but at the end of that movie, I wasn't asking for them to show me more of this world. Yeah. I don't really, I don't know. It's it's like, please, let's just stop with the Walking Dead stuff. It's too much now. And I yeah. haven't even seen the whole show. But, it, it, I mean, I feel like people who are even still watching Walking Dead know. Like, they're doing it out of duty at this point. Yeah, no one's watching Walking Dead because they enjoy it. Which is just <laughs> so, like, such a weird concept because, I mean, I love zombies. I love them. I, I just got bored with the show. Yeah. And it's just... what. Well, so what in every episode you have some dramatic stuff of people butting heads and then someone's going to get eaten Mm -hmm. like that. It's just like the formula. There's got to be a formula that everyone's recognizing by now. What I, and I know I've told you this so many times, but what my experience with walking dead for the listener who doesn't know is I think probably around like season three or four people were like, Micah, you have to watch this show. It's so good. And I, I really struggled through the first season. I, I was not very into it, but I was like... I was pretty into it. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. But people were... You were one of those people. You were like, oh, Micah, come on. Because this was around Breaking Bad time. There, yeah. This was like, TV is now as good as movies. AMC is king of TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, it's it's like a movie, you know? And so watching, um, watching Breaking Bad, watching that at the same time, and I'm just like, okay, okay. The season ends, and I'm like, okay, that was kind of cool. And I start season two, and I remember I'm at home, and my parents went to bed, and I'm just like watching it, and I am nearly pulling out my hair because I'm I'm very bored with the show, very very bored, and I'm like this is, whew, I didn't even like the first season that much, but this is like excruciating, and then I go okay surely I'm getting to the end of an episode, and I press pause, and it says 43 minutes complete out of like it was like a two hour it was a two hour premiere and i thought for sure it was over and i was like no this was and this was before i would give up on things but for for that i was like no and i pressed return and i was like i'm never watching this show again like you i know and i'm not being sarcastic even today sometimes out of duty it's like i gotta finish this thing but um, back then, it was unheard of for me. Yeah. And I just pressed return, and I was like, I'm never watching this show again, and I never did. Yeah. And nothing could convince Maybe me to watch it. Maybe the thing to do for that, like, if we really felt like we wanted to consume that story, probably uh-huh. should just read the graphic novel. Yeah, which I would imagine is probably really good. Yeah, um, me too. But Quiet Place 2, I mean, I'm not excited about it, but... Uh, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, I, I want to go to the theaters and see it. Yeah. Because I want to go to the theaters and yeah. I, I will go there like, okay, I'll go clean slate. It'll be like, you know, you finish before sunset and you go sunrise and you go, well, there's no need to make a sequel. They announce one and then it comes out and it's better than the previous movie. And then you go, okay, well, that story must be done. And then not exactly nine years later, they go, uh, we're coming out with Before Midnight. And you go, well, what the heck? You don't need another sequel. And then you see it and you go, oh my gosh. They just keep making mm-hmm. masterpieces. So that is how I segue back to Before Midnight. 
This movie, for those of you who do not know, we've talked about it in the previous episode, but they waited nine years to make Before Sunset. And in that time, they had no plans to make a sequel. You know, they, they would maybe like throw the ideas around and they after were getting the asked After the second stuff. movie? I'm talking after the first one. I'm doing a okay. quick recap. Okay. Um, and, then, and then the idea kind of hits them and then they do it. And it's a huge, not a huge success, because these movies don't make a lot of money. But they made a lot of money for how much money they spent on it. Yeah. And, and critics love it. Fans love it. And then now there's people who are like, well, did he miss the plane? Did he not miss the plane? You know, I think it's pretty obvious he doesn't from the just watching the movie. He does miss the plane. Or does, excuse me. Um, and, and people, you know, they're still like those... Two movies, all they end very ambiguously, kind of like you fill in the blank on what happens next, which is one of my favorite things about stories. You and I talk about that a lot, where it's like, this is the beginning of a story, uh-huh. and you you get to make it in your head. But then they, they, there was not a grand plan to make this a trilogy, ever. There never has been, and it's never been like, when they finished Before Sunset, they did not go, okay, let's get back together in nine years. That was never something that they discussed. They just started, like the previous movie, it just kept coming back to them. And they hmm. kept on being like, maybe we should do something. Maybe there is some more to explore with Jesse and Celine. And then um, one thing that Hawk and Delpy both say is had they not had kids, they don't think that they would have made the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Because that gave them so much fuel for what this movie could be about. Yeah. As we will get into. Um, so there's there's our little setup. And it happens to be nine years after the previous movie. So it's nine and nine. And next year we're coming up on another nine. Um, but they've kind of said that there will, if, if there is a fourth movie, it won't be in nine years. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, the movie's directed by Richard Linklater. The screenplay, again, is Linklater, uh, Ethan Hawke, and uh, Julie Delpy. Um, this movie had music in it. Yeah. Which you were kind of like, whoa, there's music in this. Still not as much as a normal movie. No. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I like the score. Uh, and that is by Graham Reynolds, and he is very much a uh, Richard Linklater guy. He's done Bernie, A Scanner Darkly, Where'd You Go, Bernadette. He's, he's locked in with Linklater. Um, the cinematography is by Christos Bordori. B- Bordori, I should have looked that up. Um, and he's a French guy, and he did the cinematography for a movie called Two and Unbuilt Light and many others, none of which I recognize, as I'm assuming they were all French films. Okay. Um, the movie comes out May 24th, 2013, and the budget of the movie is $3 million dollars. And domestically, it makes eight. Wow. And worldwide, it makes 23. Pretty good. I think that's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Adapted right. because if a movie's a sequel, they count it as an adaption at the What Academy. do you think about that? That makes sense to me. Because it's like you're taking characters or a story, and you're not adapting it like... You're not adapting the same story, but in a way, I feel like you are adapting a, the story. Uh-huh. What do you think about it? I don't know. I feel like I can go either way on it. Like, I get it. I get that. But then I also get, like, but it is an original property, technically, because it's hard not to look at all of them as one. Right. It's, 
Yeah, uh, th- I feel like you could argue either way all day yeah. long. Yeah. But it, yeah, no, I won't. I won't go off on comic books. Okay. Oh, please um, don't. In 2011 was when they decided we're going to make this movie. So that's when they decided to make it. Um, they had ten weeks, so th- they had a really uh, in-depth outline of the movie. But then they had ten weeks of writing and rehearsing. Okay. That led. That's where they really got into the nitty gritty. That led up to a 15-day shoot. Okay. So if I'm remembering right, before sunrise, 25-day shoot. Before sunset and before midnight, 15-day shoot. That's crazy, folks. That is one day more than two weeks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because ten weeks of rehearsing and writing. I mean, hopefully you can do a movie that quickly. Um, it's it's wild. It's wild. Um, so it sounds like it was. Co- oh yes. So it was kind of coincidentally nine years. I already kind of discussed that. Um, in their writing process they kind of have a checks and balances scenario, which is similar to the last movie, where, like, if one of those three creators is not loving it, they don't put it in the movie. Mm -hmm. So they all are, like, 100% behind, like, every conversation, every word, everything. It's it's very much, as much as Linklater is the director, I mean, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, these movies would not even nearly be the same movies Mm -hmm. that we're watching. So... That's really interesting. Um, it was pretty much financed themselves, and then when it premiered at Sundance, that's when they were picked up. Wow, that's so, crazy. Yeah, because th- I was watching this Q&A, and they, they, <laughs> the guy who was uh, mediating the Q&A was like, so this is like a truly independent movie, and they're like, yeah, we thought the other movies were indie, but this one is like indie indie, because studios yeah. don't make these kind of movies. Yeah. Which is always sad when you hear that. Yeah. Because this movie rolls. And it made money. It did. I know. It didn't it's, make $200 million, but... Why can't more producers be like Jason Blum? Yeah. Um, the script was finished six days before they started shooting. Okay. <laughs> but if they were all writing it, I don't think it's that crazy. Yeah, but it's... That's... um. That would be scary if you were not one of those three people. Yes. Yeah, and you're like, are they going to yeah. give us a script anytime soon? Um, they wanted... So uh, the thing that Ethan Hawke said that I really, really liked was that they wanted to start this movie with him and his son because the last movie ends with, you know, love and romance, mm-hmm. and they're about to make these big decisions. He's going to miss a fl- his plane home. Well, who's who's waiting for at home but his son? So he wants he they wanted this movie to start with like these are the repercussions, the real life repercussions of what happened in the previous movie and he like Hank is a victim, his son. Yeah. And um I like how he said that. I like how he said that and yeah. It is uh interesting that the last movie ends with them talking about a plane and the first and this movie begins with them at an airport. Yeah. There's some nice poetry there. Um, the hotel scene where they have the large yep. argument um, was the most challenging to write in the whole trilogy. Uh, yeah, obviously. That, that's like the, the first time they actually fight. Like yeah. full on fight. Prior to that, it was just little arguments. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why it was so hard was that 
um, if if you've watched the movie, listener, you'll know it starts off and they're about to make love, and they're starting to get intimate, and then that transition from like intimacy to a believable fight, mm-hmm. like that was really tricky to get that yeah, tone and everything. And something that Linklater said that I I didn't even think about it is, so in that same fight, they talk about them possibly having cheated on each other at different points in their life. Okay, yeah. And he said, what's cool about this movie is most movies don't have a half hour where you're in one room with two characters and they're having a fight. He said, other movies don't have that. And yeah. I, I never even thought about that, that a quarter of this movie is that fight. Uh-huh. I think a little over a quarter of this movie. Feels like it. And other movies, they have to do like short term basically so that you get it uh-huh. so when you hear someone cheated on someone in another movie you're like oh bad guy okay i get it this guy's a scumbag but when you have a half hour for them to have a real conversation about it it's not like you have to see the humanity behind this person hmm. and you can't just write them off mm-hmm. and i was like oh that's why i feel these this way about that's why when this happens in the movie it feels more like your friends are going through something and you want to help them, but, yeah. you're, but you're not just like, oh, let me write off this character because it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Like this guy cheated on his wife, whatever. I feel like that's that it, it's not done in movies hardly ever, but it is done in TV shows. But TV shows that's have true. more time. Y- y- well, yeah. Yeah, they that's do. The, yeah, that's the big thing. Um, and then let's see. The movie is dedicated to Amy... Lurhapt, who is the woman that Linklater met in Philadelphia. Oh, that's sweet. And who was killed in a motorcycle accident in 2010. See our first episode to hear more about that. And then finally, as a very funny story, the camera guy. So, so there's a scene in the movie where there's this young, I think she's French, woman walks into a room at the beginning and she is wearing like a bikini, I think, the, yeah. the young yep. guy's um, girlfriend. Yep. And um, Jesse's kind of like looking at her. All he's the kinda, men, all the men yeah. are. But yeah. And he's checking her out. And the camera guy, after that scene was over, you know, they're at lunch or whatever, and he he turned to Ethan and he goes, I didn't like that. That really, that that bums me out. Like, Jesse wouldn't do that. Okay. And and uh, Ethan's like, well, I mean, these are, we're trying to portray, this is not a romantic like these are these are romantic movies, but we want to portray real people. Okay. And Jesse is a real fallible person. Yeah. And then once they got further along in the shoot, the camera guy was like, "No, you're right. It makes sense." Hmm. But it interesting. Just shows like how attached to these characters people are. Yeah. And even well, the even cameraman saying that, something like that. When they're in the car at the beginning of the movie, she's talking. She says like, "I see how you ogle girls. I yeah. I notice." And she even kind of mentions that. I think in the first movie. Where at one point she's like, were you looking at that girl? That's right. She does in the yeah. first movie. And then I already said finally, but I did want to update people that in March 2020, um, they have discussed potentials for a fourth movie. Um, and a uh, quote from Hawk, if the first three were all nine years apart, the fourth would not follow that trajectory. Linklater would want a different path, either a short film set four years after midnight or a feature two decades in the future. We think about it. Those are the three best experiences of my life. 
Um, they are a part of me, so the idea of revisiting it, I would have to believe that we could make something as good. We enjoy working together and being together, but we have to make sure we have something to say. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, since it's such an indie film, they're not pressured into making another movie by a You're studio, right, yeah. So, it's all up to them. Yeah. I think that they will. Okay. Do, what do you think? Do you think they will nine years, like in the ninth year? No, I, I think we will get one... Um, uh, and they're old and gray. Yeah, I think I think I we'll get that. at least one more, maybe okay. two. I could see it. Oh, I don't think two, but I could see another one. Yeah. And I will throw out. Uh, I thought about this a lot. Um, I think if they make any more, I think they will be called after something. Cool. That is my that's my total guess. Interesting. Um, which would be cool if they made three more. So it was like after. Well, afternoon would be a bad title, but you know. Yeah, after breakfast. <laughs> but maybe they could do. I mean, they're smart. They're a lot smarter than me. They would figure it out. But that's just my guess because I I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, before noon, like that's not a good title for a movie. Before, I don't know. I don't know yeah. how many befores you could do. Yeah. Or or they might. I'm sticking to my after pick. But the other thing they would do is call it something that is like not in that realm at all. Just a different title altogether. Yeah. Um. So, do you have any actor stuff you wanted yeah. to hit? So, The Sun is played by Seamus, Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick. Um, what a name! Seamus yeah. Davies Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I love it. Um, he's in The Omen. Oh, it, he plays Damien in an Omen remake. That's crazy. Wow. He's in Moonrise Kingdom. Everybody's fine. Pawn Sacrifice. He's in a lot of stuff, man, and a Jeez. lot of TV. And then Ari- Ariane, I think they pronounced her name. Oh, no, they didn't because they didn't say her name in the movie because she's an actress. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm pronouncing it as Ariane Labed, who plays the, the young, the girl and the young couple. Yeah. Uh, she's in the Assassin's Creed movie. I knew this. She's in Alps, which is um, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos movie. So I've okay. seen her in... I think she's in some of his other ones. So I think I've seen it. I've seen her. I recognized her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she did look familiar, but I don't know if it was just cause I've seen this movie. Before. Yeah. She also in trigonometry suit, the souvenir, Mary Magdalene, black mirror. Okay. Um, and then Walter Lazuli plays Patrick, the, the writer that invited them to Greece to stay yes. with him. Um, he's in Zorba, the Greek heat and dust. So, let me put a little asterisk on that. He's not in those movies. Oh, he, he's a cinematographer. He's the cinematographer for those movies. This is his acting debut. Got it. And uh, Linklater did uh, say that he he did a great job, but like when he wasn't on screen, he was like taking notes about the movie and giving suggestions, and they had to be kind of like, okay, oh, that's so <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, and then, but they they enjoyed it, you know. Sure. Um. Athena Rachel Sangari plays um, the other couple, like the the same age as Ethan and Julie. Yeah. It's the wife. Um, she's an also in Trigonometry, um, Adderberg, Digger, Fireflies. I think she is a director as oh, well. Yeah, I need to be looking down here. She's a producer. A so producer, she's mostly yeah. produced. Thank you. Because she kind of helped. I am not altogether here. That's okay. You also look at her IMDb picture and you're like, she is behind the camera person yeah she she kind of helped them 
figure out the whole Greece hookup and working sure. in Greece. Cool. Yeah. Um, she was really good. She was wonderful. Um, yeah. And then Panos Coronas plays Stephanos, her husband. Okay. Um, he is. I love all these names. He is an actor. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the Durrells, Do It Yourself, Junked stuff. Oh, he's in Junked. What? You know what that is? No. Oh, okay. I just think it's a funny title. And then I think it, that's about it. Is it Junked ED or is it Junked apostrophe D? ED. Ah, I wish it was Junked like punked. Sorry. Well, all right. So the movie begins and we see Jesse at an airport with his son, Hank. And from this, we learn that Hank has been spending the summer in Greece with his dad, and it's... I feel like Ethan Hawke's character has been the most drastically different in each movie. Looks-wise? Uh, his Acting? characteristics. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, I, like, yeah. in this scene, he is so nervous uh -huh. about his son getting on the plane, and you can tell he is, like, a... a he is like scared of losing his son. Oh, he, I wonder. He's so fearful. If the acting choices, you know, in the first movie, it's just he has a a character that has a lot of walls, and the older he gets, the more they're not there. Yeah, definitely. And um, and so his son is going back to America to live with his mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and we we're, one thing that I really think is absolutely incredible about. Um, these two sequels, Sunset and Midnight, is lesser lesser writing. They would spend a lot of time explaining what has happened in the nine years. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they just show it. They just show you, and it's just context clues. And there are some things where it's like, oh, I do wonder about that thing, but I'll never know. And that's, yeah, because it's like we are like a fly on the wall in their lives. Yeah, Truly. exactly. Yeah. So, Obviously, you know, I mean, one, it's been nine years and you know from the last movie, it's taking place nine years later. Mm -hmm. um, but not only that, his son is like 14 now. At the yeah. last movie, he was like four or so. Um, and yeah, like you said, he's really nervous, making sure he has everything he needs. Obviously, he's going to miss him very much. You can tell that. Um, and he, I think, is, as you also find out later in the movie, very insecure about how his son perceives him, understandably, mm -hmm. because... Yeah. It, his dad doesn't even live in the same country as him. Yeah. So um, he was talking to his son about like, keep doing your piano lessons, maybe try out for soccer. Uh, I'll make sure to be there in October for your piano recital, all this stuff. And his son is just keeps saying stuff like, Oh, I don't think I'm going to do soccer. I don't care about it. And then eventually like, don't come to the recital. Come yeah. on, come on a nothing weekend. And um, his, his reasoning is mom hates you so much that she's just going to be stressed out the whole time you're there and it's going to ruin my recital yeah, kind of thing. And and, that, and that's when you find out right off the bat it was not a good divorce. Mm -hmm. So his son leaves and uh, Jesse walks out of the airport and you see Celine and, and at the car. You do kind of breathe. A, a, uh -huh. You're like, okay, yes, <laughs> they are together. Um, I was hoping they would be. And yeah. there's twins in the car as well. Uh-huh. Um, and again, like the movie doesn't like again, lesser writing, they'd be like they they would somehow tell you the audience specifically, like, these are their kids, and that is the one he had with his other wife. And they do tell us that, but they they do it in ways that these are these feel like real conversations. Cause when you're having a conversation with someone, you're not recapping your life. Mm -hmm. 
And that could be an easy pitfall mm-hmm. for these movies. Um, so they get in the, the car, and it's just right off the bat, the movie is like, kind of warning you, like, this is... This is the reality of romance. Yeah. And I, you know, it's been, they've been together this whole time for nine years straight because they do also communicate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, well, what do they have to talk about now? They've been together for so long. They can't simply just walk around another city and talk about deep, meaningful things. It it can't be about, like, if it was, I don't know if I would like it very much because it's like, I don't think that's very real. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they still talk about deep things because that is their relationship. But it isn't, you know, they they know who each other are at this point. They're not learning who they are or relearning who they are. Mm-hmm. Stuff. So um, what follows is a series of very long shots it's, of them just talking it, in the it's car. crazy. I know. I mean, the car scene is, I don't know, 15, 25 minutes. And I want to say there's like four shots of them in the car, maybe. I maybe because it cuts away to the the ruins once, and then I think cuts away to some something else once. Uh huh. So it's like three shots, and the girls are sleeping in the back, and they're having conversations again. What do we love about this series? Talking. Conversations. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see. Uh, she talks about how she wants to get a new job because her. The nonprofit she's working for is like pushing a boulder uphill mm-hmm. because they can't get things done. She works to help with the environment and rights less, issues. Less and, fortunate people, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's offered to work at this other job that would be working with the government. And it sounds like she's worked for this specific person before and hated it. And this person was terrible. And Jesse keeps reminding her that, like, you will hate your life. Yes. And, you know, she's just going back and forth like, I just really think like it would be the right move. It's more money. It's more responsibility. I really think that I can get things done there. And he's still reminding her. And she's like, well, I'm taking the job. And it pretty much it's like, okay, fine. And she's like, no, of course I don't know if I'm taking the job. Like she keeps yeah, going back and forth. And that's and really good. This is kind of like the pivotal scene. Like you don't realize it's the pivotal scene in the movie. Yeah. But when you think back on it, because... That's going to be a big part of their argument at the hotel. Uh-huh. And one of, one of the things that I think is really interesting is when they're driving into um, the the cottage or wherever they're staying, the house, um, with the kids, she is very much like, ah, I think I'm going to do this job, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he's like, remember, this job sucks for you. You don't like it. Mm-hmm. And, and it really doesn't sound like he's trying to get her not to do it based on his happiness, but based on... Just but, remember you hated it. Right, exactly. But, but I know there's more to everything. But that's that's what I thought. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, you know, because I think we've been in situations like that where the other person, one of us in our marriage has been like, don't do that thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there was one time where this random person on Instagram messaged me and they said, can you write a song for my daughter's birthday? I'll pay you $200. And I was like, $200 is a lot of money. Yeah. And so I was like, Jordan, how cool is this? You and toiled with it all night. <laughs> and I was like, I wouldn't even have replied to the first message. Yeah, Jordan said, you know, uh, it's it's not real. This is a fake, per- like, this person is not going to do this. And so I said, okay, okay. I figured it out, and I said, I'm going to send them my PayPal information, and I'll tell them, like, they can just send, once once I see the money, I will do the song for them. Which was like a huge step for me because I, you know, 
I like people. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And maybe he does want to do this cool thing for his daughter. And then um, there's even a daughter. <laughs> maybe. Although that would be weird. He's just like taking indie songwriter songs. Ooh, that's creepy. No, he wants to get your your financial information and steal your identity. You still don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, a they. Well, right. Yes, because then he responded with like, oh, I can only do... It was some weird thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, oh, sorry. And, and this was big for me. This was like a big moment in my life, uh, in my growth as a human. I said, I can only accept it on PayPal. And he was like, I, but I can't do it. And then I r- didn't respond to him anymore. And that... So that was me being Celine, being like, no, no, this will work out, this will work out. And you were saying, Micah, you have to be rational about this. So I use that example to say all that. But what's also interesting about the scene is later on in the movie, we see how much Celine feels like um, Jesse blames him. Blames her. Blames her for Hank's bad upbringing. Yeah. And leaving Hank. So... When he is saying these things to her, there is that possibility that he is saying it because he wants to move to Chicago. Yeah. Which I didn't even consider until we started redo, like recording this. Yeah. That's the beauty of the movie. I Well, it's like one of those things where he's like, I think he means it, that he's giving her advice not to do it because she will hate it. But there is that small part of him that's like, and if she doesn't take the job, maybe I can convince her right. to move to America. But she shouldn't take the job. I think it's like that where it's it is not just black and white it's pretty gray area well i think the thing we said last night after we finished it is this movie feels like neither of them are right and neither of them are wrong mm-hmm. and that is how well written this stinking thing well, some is. people are wrong if you cheat on someone but that is yeah. wrong but yeah. but like in the arguments it feels i know you're saying yeah 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 like so, in the decisions they need to make neither of them are right yeah or wrong yeah. it feels like yeah and um yeah like whatever decision they are going to make is going to negatively affect somebody so at one point you know he's saying well i think at, she gets a call from hank saying like i'm on the plane oh because she asked him to call her <laughs> and he's like oh let me let me see the phone she hangs up like oh they were boarding really quickly like couldn't do it and it really was just like okay fine you know yeah. um and then jordan i'm scared he, he's talking about how he's you know really insecure about and and nerve and afraid for his relationship with his son. Like he, his son told him that this is the best summer he's ever had. And that's really great. But like, he's, will he forget about me? Will he forget about this? Like all this stuff. And she's like, I talked about, I talked with him so much during like while he was here. And I mean, he did have the best time. He had his first kiss and he's like, he told you it his first kiss. So it's like, you know, he is confiding in Celine. Hank is confiding in Celine stuff that he's not confiding in his dad and i think that hurts jesse uh-huh but i think it is also like that's sweet that he yeah like celine mm-hmm. enough to tell her these things um but then jesse get in, gets into like i just feel like i'm screwing this kid up and i'm not being a good dad i'm not even being a dad because i'm all the way over here and he starts alluding to like maybe moving closer to him for his high school years you know, and it, it's like, it totally makes sense. Cause it he's does, like, you know, I have these four years with him and then he's an adult, you know, he's in college and Celine's looking at it as that's great. That means he's not hers anymore. Meaning the mom. Yeah. Because she has sole custody, 
you know, and she's just like, you, all you have is four years left is how she sees it, which is easier for her to look at it that way. When he's like four years is a long, that's like the most formative years in a teenage boy's life. And I'm going to miss it. And what's, what's great is before the fight at the end, I was just like, I really, I really felt like Celine was, uh, I was, I was like, man, it feels like she's being selfish about this child who's, who's the victim in all this. Like, like we said at the beginning, like, it seems like she's not willing to budge, but then, or at least she's, yeah, she's content with what the situation is right now. She and, knows and, it's not ideal. Yeah. And it, it just felt it like, why is she like this? Uh-huh. But then when we find out later how, how much, uh, tension there is between her and his ex-wife and then the fact that they would see him like 10 days every semester because of the custody it's like oh that makes sense like she, i get your okay i get what you're saying it. yeah but again it, it's like you know she's thinking about it rationally but this is like not really a rational situation that's it, true it's too a, it's a really terrible situation that was that happened because of human because of choices mm-hmm it's like, could this have been avoided? Sure. But he probably would have been miserable in his life in another way by not being with Celine, which mm-hmm. was the, what the whole move last movie was about. So he, <laughs> right. he made a choice to be with her. And at the time, he's not thinking I'm choosing her over my son. But now it feels that way. And that that's why it's a big deal. Right, right. Um, and And so... One thing I, I wanted to talk about as well is, so they're when they're driving to the house and they go by these ancient ruins that one of the daughters really wanted to see, and um, Celine says, "Oh, should we wake them up?" And he goes, "Nah, they're just ancient ruins. Like you've seen one, you've seen them all." And they're mm-hmm. kind of like, "Yeah, whatever." And it's so interesting that contrast of these people who we've seen be so romantic look at ancient ruins and go. Oh, I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah, and go. Uh, you've seen one. You've seen them all. And they're like, eh, whatever. And oh. then even beyond that, and and I don't I don't know about this theory. I don't have a child. So parents, give us a call. Give us a text. Let us know what you think. But it does feel like Ethan's character, because because he he then says. Let's just let him sleep. It'll build character. You snooze, you lose. It's a good lesson to learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I thought is, you know, I think of myself right now, we're, we're artistic and we're like passionate about the world and stuff like that. And we're, we're trying to make a difference and all that stuff. But I do think, at least this is what the movie posits, and I think seeing people who've become um, parents around our age, there is an element of like when you become a parent – and I may be speaking way out of turn here, so don't get mad, parents. This is just what I'm saying. There are certain things where you just go, I'm a parent now, and life is just different, and I accept that. And this seeing these ancient ruins, I'm going to teach my kid a lesson right now, okay? That's what I'm going to do right now. When really he's just tired. When really he's just tired, and, and it feels like, well, this isn't the romantic characters that we knew who would let their kids miss out on this wonderful opportunity to see ruins but it's like when you become a parent sometimes you do simplify sometimes your philosophy does get a little smaller and -hmm. i think part of that is because you see a little clearer actually and so you're like well i don't have to think about this and that this big life and death of these situations because i'm a parent now and i don't even care about those parts of it anymore yeah 
You're um, not thinking about yourself in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot less selfish for sure because you have a child to take care of. Um, I don't know. Does that make any sense yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, but they're still selfish in other ways. Yeah. I'm just speaking of parents in general was yeah. what I was saying. I'm not a parent, so I don't really know. Yeah. So You're I guess wrapping me into that. I guess if you have any complaints, leave them in a five-star review on our Apple, okay? Yes, please. Um, so then they talk about their first loves again, and Jesse says that she was his first love, mm-hmm. and she says, oh, you weren't mine. And it's mm-hmm. very kind of blasé, and he's like, what the heck? I mm-hmm. thought I was yours, and you're just shrugging this off. They're, they're still fun and Witty, jovial. fun banter, but it does feel a little more personal now. Definitely. Because definitely. it is. Uh-huh. Because they've actually been together now. I mean, a tagline for this movie could have been, this time it's personal. That could have been the tagline yeah. for this movie. Um, so then we're at this beautiful Greek uh, home of this author. And there's a great scene where Ethan is talking to these other authors and other people that are there. And he's talking about his different books. This time, which is the before sunset book, and then or sunrise, and then that time, which is the other one. Um and he's talking about different ideas he has. And all the ideas throughout the series that he has for books that he's going to write, I'm like, oh, man, that would be such a cool book. Yeah, it sounds interesting. We talked about the pop song one last time, but then... Oh, yeah. Yeah, but then this one, his idea it's is... very complicated. Yeah, people have... He, he takes people who have brain abnormalities, all these different strange ways of viewing the world, and it would be through the lens of... On the Waterfront, the movie On the Waterfront. So, like, this woman sees Which On the I'm Waterfront. I'm curious why he chose that movie. I know. I'd have to watch it again to see if there's, like... All I remember is that it's about the Union or something. Yeah. It, and, no, that's not the Stella, but it is a Marlon Brando movie. Uh-huh. Stella is A Boxcar Named Desire. Uh-huh. Which I didn't dig that much. Oh, I've um, seen it. But it is funny because that's early in Brando's career, and when you watch the movie, you're just like, oh, yeah, he's a star. Yeah. It's like his third or fourth movie, and you're like, this guy, if, if you were alive at the time, you would have been like, this is the next guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so he he he's talking about this cool idea of like this woman goes to see the premiere of the movie, and she has deja vu, and, and everything she experiences in life is deja vu, and then someone sees it replayed at another theater, and they see the world a different way, mm-hmm. and I was like, that would be such a cool book or movie. Yeah. Um make it i want to read that yeah. <laughs> i feel like it's so hard in movies and stuff to come up with other stories mm-hmm. like that that it's interesting i think we've talked about this before but stuff like that or like if someone's a an artist or something and they just whip these things out and it's like i don't really like it yeah it's it, there's that weird fine it's subjective. line so that, that's what's hard about it yeah um but but it helps whatever. that like I mean, I think Ethan Hawke has written a book or two. Oh, okay. And obviously, him and Linklater are obsessed with time. So these ideas feel like maybe this is a journal entry that that Richard Linklater has somewhere. And he's like, it never turned into anything, but let's put it in this movie. Why not? Because this is a cool idea I had, you know. Um, so there's all that stuff. Uh, there's a new couple that, that has just, they, they've only been together for a year. And that'll be important when we get to the dinner scene. And, uh, oh, we're at the dinner scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, dinner scene. What happens here, Jordan? So, you have the young couple who are young and in love. Um, and then you have the 
you have Celine and Jesse who've been together for a while now. And then you have that other couple who seem to have been together for a while now as well. Yeah. And then you have the writer guy who, um, is, doesn't have a wife anymore. And then another woman, I think she was a writer. I, qu- I can't remember older yeah. as well. Her husband died some time ago. Yeah. So they're all in these different places of relationships. Well, besides the two, the two like middle-aged couples, but, mm-hmm. um, it, it they, it's, it starts off, you know, just like, first of all, want all of that food. And the, like that. They're, they're like, they're overlooking the water. It's in stupid. Like a cave. It's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just dropped everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So they're, they're talking about the, the vacation that they had, how nice it's been. So this is like the end of their vacation. Um, and you find out like Jesse was invited here by this writer. Um, right, right. And then they do start talking about relationships. So it starts with the couple. They're pretty much asking them how, how long have you been together? Basically it's been a year since last summer. And, um, they, one of the, the, um, the other couple, the guy, he's like, well, I just have to know, have you guys been like going nuts? Since you've been together, like sex wise (laughs) is what he's alluding to. And they're all like, that's gross. That's gross. And he's like, I'm just curious. That gets them to all start talking about relationships. Yep. And, you know, they all have their own perspectives or it all, for some people, it comes down to this is how to keep a man or that this is how to please a person. And and for a lot of it, it feels cynical to me. Yes. Um, it feels cynical, and a lot of it feels pretty selfish well, to me. Selfish and cynical, but I wonder if part of it is like, you know, two of the couples are middle-aged, and maybe that's where their relationship is at right now. Mm-hmm. When you have the young couple, and all they can do is just make googly eyes at each other, and it's so cute. Mm-hmm. And then you have the older woman who talks about how, you know, her husband has passed away a while ago, and she's starting to forget him. And, and she has her, such uh, she has such a her, romantic. That's a beautiful little it's monologue. It's so nice, and and she's you know she has a very romantic view of her husband, yeah. And it's so sweet, but like yeah, with the middle aged couples, like one of them, she the the lady of the other couple says that you know her mom was a nurse and she was there a lot when coma patients woke up, and she said every time a woman woke up out of a coma, they would say. Or she, she would tell him, you know, you've been in a bad automobile accident. And the woman, women every time would be like, where are my kids? Is my family okay? Where's my husband? Like, is everyone okay? And then she said, without fail, anytime a man woke up from a coma, he would look down to see if his penis was still there. Which is like, ha, 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 ha. Very, very funny. <laughs> but it is like, it, it is like a little uncomfortable. Uh-huh. You know, it's like. There, there just seems to be a lot of like, I feel like cynicism of like, guys only want one thing. And women just try to please them. Yeah, yeah. It's how it felt to me. Yeah, and it feels like they're taking a very evolutionary view of of marriage. Like how it's, like we shouldn't expect to stay together because, you know, at the end of the day, we're monkeys. And mon- right. that's that's how but it feels. I, and I, I do think, you know, I think people do believe that. Or, you know, not believe that, but like have kind of views of love like that. Yeah. But it is interesting to note that the two couples, we know for sure one of them, uh, Jesse and Celine, but the other one also seem to be have been together for a while. Yeah. It does really seem like this is where they're at in their relationships. Mm-hmm. So what's it going to look like in another, dare I say, nine years? <laughs> you dare um, you. You dare. And throughout this, Celine, I feel like, is really ragging on Jesse. 
Definitely. Especially like, you know, he's American, so all he wants is sex. That's like all he cares about. All and, these And she does that whole like bimbo thing where she's like, uh-huh. all he cares about is like, oh, I love you. Oh, you're so smart and stuff like that. And she goes and, on for a while and it's pretty And his expression, like he, he tries to be a good sport, but he's so angry. You yeah. can just tell that Which, he's so angry. Now that I'm really thinking about it, she is basically imitating... What she what believes she, happened. What she believes happened when he cheated on her. Yeah. And at the time, I'm just like, she's being kind of mean. But then later, it's like, okay, there's something. There's a lot yeah. to unpack here. And and I think that Celine and Ethan are both annoyed at the young couple. Okay. Um. Well, well maybe maybe not annoyed, but like the couple says, how did you guys meet? And they go, you don't know. And they oh. talk about their the book and the night. And they kind of gloss over everything. Well, I don't think they're annoyed with them. I think they're because the rom- the the first honeymoon phase romance is long gone, and now it yeah. feels kind of stupid. Their yeah. story because it is really romantic. Guys, have you listened to the last two episodes? It's effing romantic. Um, <laughs> but but now with where they're at in their relationship, they have children. Yeah, it's just like we met a long time ago. He wrote a book about it. We're together still. Yeah. And it's like, oh it's, my gosh, they, they, it's so much more than she that. She so downplays it. Yes. And and he does as well. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think they're embarrassed by it. Yeah. Oh, man. So that that's like a big gist of it all. And it yeah. ends with, the like we said, the, the older woman talking about her dead husband, which is very sweet and sad. Yeah. Um, and then the dinner's over and the other couple... Uh, bought a night at like a nice hotel for Celine and Jesse. So that's where they're going for the evening. Yep. Of uh, leaving the kids with them going. So, um, by the way, it's also worth mentioning that Celine says in the kitchen before dinner that she, she was thinking about Greece and before they went on this trip, she didn't want to go because she felt like something tragic was going to happen because of all yeah. the Greek tragedies. Yeah. Love that. The lady is like, what do you think a Minotaur is going to come and eat your children? Yeah. Uh, and then earlier when they were in the car and they start talking about Chicago and yeah. they start arguing a little bit, Celine says, this is it. This is the end. This is going right. to be the moment uh, when it's all said and done. We're going to look back and say that was the beginning. And I was like, please be together by the end of this movie. <laughs> um, and then she says the tragedy thing and it's like, oh my gosh, we're in for a bumpy ride. Yeah. So... They walk to the hotel, which takes a while because they love walking. Yeah, and this is this is like, I mean, if this is like a Marvel movie, this is like Captain America just picked up the hammer. You're like Ethan and Celine are talking philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I thought you'd get it. I thought I'd get a huge laugh from you on that. Sorry, not this time. Ah. Um, and in their in their walk, what's great is now that they're older, they realize that they don't know anything. And so they're kind of talking about how, you know, when they were younger, they thought they knew all this stuff or they wanted time to speed up. And now that they're here, they're like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to live still. Yeah. And that's all great. Um, And then there's that really interesting conversation where Celine says, you know, I think men feel all this pressure to get recognized and to do all of these great things. And she goes, but we women, we don't feel that pressure because... Most women don't get recognized until they're 50 because they have to break so many barriers in order to get any recognition at all. Or they're stuck at home with children. Like because that because yep. that's put on them. Yeah. And um I mean I don't I I don't know if that is rings true to you or uh, that rings true to 
the history. Well, oh, no, I know that. But I mean, if you sympathize with that feeling of feeling like there's not as much pressure on you, because that's what she's saying. Yeah, yeah. But but ironically, by saying that, you're also admitting that there's more pressure on you. Sure. Because you have to break through so many barriers because yes. of sexism. Oh, yeah, she's not saying that it's less pressure, so we're all good. <laughs> no. It's, like, way harder. Yeah, but I think... In, in some ways, I yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a hard thing to express without hearing the exact things she says. Yeah. But, um... And then at one point, she asks him... I know this a little bit, like, when they're walking in the town. Yeah. Um... You know, if there's anything you could change about me, what would it be? (laughs) Yeah. And he's, you know, kind of joking around and is like, if I could change one thing, it would be that you can stop changing me. Stop trying to change me. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they're laughing. But I mean, that what's going on there kind of feeling. And then earlier, too, when they're still walking through the ruins, um, she stops and says, if you saw me right now on that train like this, would you ask me to get off the train with you? And... He doesn't answer right away. Like, he answers, but it's not the answer she wants right away. And he kind of messes up. Yeah. And um, in addition to all these wonderful conversations, they also talk about how when they were younger, their life was marked by like, oh, I finished college. Oh, I have this job. But now it's marked, time is marked by their children. And I thought that was a really, and they're not saying it in a in a negative way at all. It's just an interesting thing that as someone who doesn't have kids, I've never thought of that. That like yeah, you go, she because she quizzes him and she goes like, "What happened August two thousand nine? And he goes, "Oh, one of the kids had he says which one chicken pox had chicken yeah. pox, and then we had to do this thing because of it." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting." Yeah, that's interesting. Again, parents, you know, leave us a five star review on iTunes. <laughs> um, and then we find out that they're not married mm-hmm. because, and the girls, their daughters are very much like. What was your wedding like again? That's right. They're very interested in marriage. Yeah. And they're apparently like they finish any movie they watch and they're like, I loved the wedding, even if there wasn't a wedding yeah, in it. Yeah. Which or is... it's like, and then they get married. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they finally get to. Why do you think they didn't get married? I think that they were probably didn't want to be, quote, constrained by the restrictions of marriage. Yeah. Okay. Wait, why do you think? That that could definitely be a reason. I think with all that they've gone through too, I think it's not that that it's like they just didn't think they needed to go through the formality because of yeah. their story, like their undying love. Yeah. Romantic love for each other. And then I do think sometimes it gets to a point where it's like, uh, we've already been together so long. Right. Yeah. Because they don't really talk about why. I know they, you're right. They don't. And they I mean, just leave the, it up the to divorce you to... sounded so terrible for Jesse. I know. They, that's... Maybe they're just like, you know what? We're just not going to do it. Right. Which kind of sounds like if maybe that's true, um, you know, at the end of the first movie, they're like, we're not going to write letters to each other. That's so dumb. It's just going to fizzle out. So maybe this is another form of that where it's like, we're not going to get married and then have this terrible thing happen to us where we get oh, divorced. Oh yeah. Maybe that could be a little part of it too. I think you're onto something there. Um, so then they finally get to the place they're going and they are having dinner out on this nice courtyard and the sun sets. Mm-hmm. And when it sets, Let's, go ahead. Jesse's face just kind of drops. Oh, I didn't notice that. And it's like, a, it feels like 
this big moment. I don't know what he's thinking in that moment, but it feels like he's like, okay. Like another day done. No, I feel like he's he can almost sense the impending tension, tension or something, or or he just feels some unsatisfaction because it's like right when the sun sets, his hmm. it's like his uh, the romantic vision is gone from him in that moment. What I think is interesting because the last movie I mean, that sounded pretty cool. Romantic vision is gone. Okay, fine. And the the last movie before sunset. So for us to watch the sunset go down. It's like, okay, things have already been kind of interesting with their yeah. relationship. Now we're really getting into it. Because what yeah. follows yeah. is you really get into it. Hey, this movie's good. Mm. <laughs> These movies are really good. Mm-hmm. You want to watch them again? Yeah. Right now? Well, Should we pause the right podcast now? and then... So then they check in at the hotel. And the one of the people, one of the concierge uh, people ask um, Jesse to sign his her books and ask Celine to sign the books, which I found very uncomfortable. Obviously she did too and really didn't want to do it. Yeah. And that definitely made her mad. I, I think know, that I've... really kicked off what, what, what is to come. Yeah. So it, what, 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 uh, cause to me, I felt like, so I think she's always been uncomfortable with the fact that he wrote those books. I think so too. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. And I don't think they fully dealt with that. Yeah. But also I do feel like, I thought it was very flattering that they would ask her to sign it and that it was like, oh, but she won't admit that she is the girl. But how did you feel about it? I think she thinks of those books and thinks about this guy just having sex with this French girl. Yeah. A lot. Which is what is mentioned, what they mention about in the books, you know, because yeah. it's a romance book, uh-huh. both of them. So I think that's like she has a hard time getting past that, like, like to see herself fictionalized, almost like exaggerated. And I think, especially at this point, and they're like, because you know they do go over in the last movie, but especially at this point in the relationship, it maybe it reminds her of something that they don't have anymore, and oh, she feels man. uncomfortable by it. Yeah. Hey good movie yeah um i'm glad you mentioned that because i i think i was gonna blow past that um so then they they go upstairs or not upstairs but they go to their hotel room and they're they're hanging out and then they're like hey let's get frisky Mm -hmm. and this is here's what i'm gonna say i think of the movies i've seen this is the best use of nudity explain and i'll explain why because the movie starts off and as pointed out by, I think, Linklater, um, we've not really ever seen them be intimate mm-hmm. um, beyond just a couple of kisses. Mm-hmm. Um, not that most movies show the main characters having sex or anything, but we we haven't actually seen that much intimacy. It's just mostly talking in mm-hmm. all these movies. And so this is the first moment, and um, you know, she takes off her top, basically, and he's kissing her and stuff like that, and they're starting to get really heated. Mm-hmm. And then she gets a phone call from Hank mm-hmm. and she's like, okay, sorry. We forgot about, you know, his no, homework. He, well, yes, but also he landed in London. Yeah. So, cause she told him to call me when you land in London and Ethan holds out his hand and he's like, oh. and she definitely sees him. Yeah. And she chooses to not give him the phone, give him the phone and hangs up the first time. Not very weird to me. Second time. Second is time weird. It's like, what's going on? Yeah. And so she's still topless and, in in the ensuing scene, they're having this argument and seeing like 
the intimacy that we just saw contrasted with them fighting while she is half nude is such a powerful image that has stuck with me ever since I saw it for the first time. It sticks with you because it's so stark and it's not what you're, it's not what movies give you. And, and it's not what this series has given us. No. So and it's, what's it's interesting is intense. She, she stays that way for a little bit. Yeah. And at one point Ethan takes his pants off and he's just wearing like his boxers. Yeah. And then at both, at one point, both of them put their clothes back on. Well, at separate times, but they put yeah. their clothes back on, which signifies we are not doing this tonight. We yeah, are and talking. that's even powerful when they put their clothes back yes. on. She does it first. He does it second. And I can't remember the exact moments, but obviously it's key when they do it based on when their conversation's at. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, so he's like, that's the second time you've done that today. You won't let me talk to him or you didn't give me the phone. Mm-hmm. And then he walks over there, turns her phone off. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. I don't think it's interesting. I mean, I think that he wants well, to have she, an evening alone with her. And then she comes up and she turns it back on. Because she's she's concerned if the ki- anything happens with the kids. Yeah. So then they start arguing and they're they're talking about things like Chicago, the the mother that Hanks with who's apparently um an alcoholic and a bad word. A, yeah, the big old C word is what she says. Well, she doesn't say the big old part, but she says the C word part. And um, and she's talking a lot about how she feels like she has all these dreams, but because she's a woman, she has to take care of the kids, and she has no time to like pursue her dreams. And it's a lot of, she is afraid of that being put on her. And it's interesting because I think she has kind of accepted it. Like, yeah. like, and I do think society does put expectations on women to be the caretaker, but she's also working really hard to maintain a full-time job. So it, it's like, cause I, I feel like Jesse does a, a good job of communicating like he, he recognizes how hard she works uh-huh. and almost trying to like fight for himself as well. And this is that thing where like, she says all that and you're like, maybe she's right. Yeah. But she's also wrong because then Ethan also says like, oh, I'm so sorry that you feminist women are so oppressed growing up in a middle class family in, in France where you get to work a full time job and I have to stay home with the kids and stuff. I'm so sorry about how oppressed you are. Now, obviously, he's being very mean. Yeah. They, they, oh, yeah. They both, They're doing low blows. This, in this, conversation. this goes without saying that this whole conversation the things that they're obviously not communicating if well it's not like people are coming to this podcast for marriage advice yeah. <laughs> so we can just talk about the movie but uh you know it's 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 very intense but again it's like oh he brings up a really good point but he's also wrong but but the way he's doing it is you're a a bad word like like you're a self-righteous person who yes. is like is you're claiming these things and you're doing them and you're also claiming that you're oppressed at the same time but, but he is also like he also says earlier too like he doesn't she doesn't even let him pack the girl's stuff to go on a trip because she doesn't yeah. trust him to do it because she's like you would forget all these things and it's like i mean you're probably right yeah but you won't let him uh-huh just like you won't let him talk to hank uh-huh because you want to take care of everything and and that i think is a nurture like she is a nurturing person but she's also clinging so hard to uh, having her own life and having her own identity. Yeah. And it, and it is true just in society, clearly as well as France is here, <laughs> yeah. where, um, you know, things are more progressive. Uh, there are, you know, society is trying to be more equal in some ways. Um, but 
women are still expected to be the nurturer stay at home, but they are still now, they're now also expected to have a full-time job. Yeah. What? And I think she communicates <laughs> yeah. that very well throughout, throughout the fight. Of course, she's very mean at times too. Yeah. Um, well, and, and like him, he's, she's, she's bringing up stuff where she's saying, well, you, you get to walk around in your toga and like have afternoon strolls and or morning strolls and then just come in and take care of the kids when you want to. Do you think it's like a fairy that comes around and cleans up your messes and stuff like that? So she's bringing up really good points. She is, but then he also says, you know, I, we have agreed. You take the girls to school. I pick them up and no one, and then you're coming home at 6 PM every night because of her job. Yeah. And he makes it sound like, you know, you're working late every day. Mm-hmm. And then you're coming home and trying to do this too. And basically I, I feel like he's trying, he's not doing a good job, but trying to communicate, you don't have to do it all. Yeah. And then she brings up, she starts talking about his writing and yeah. what, how he spends his days kind of what you're talking about where he just is emailing his friends and it's like, you're a genius, blah, 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 blah. The other person, you're a genius, blah, blah, blah. Like that's his day. And then he's like, I could, he's like, I teach two courses at the American college. Yeah. I don't, like what i do either thing which is crazy because as i mean they both have what they've wanted Uh uh-huh and they're just they're still not satisfied you know yeah and and there's that um i lost my train of thought go ahead Well, i was just gonna say too that she she obviously i think there is a lot of she doesn't really respect what he does and i think because to her he's having fun when she feels like she cannot have fun and he he does clarify writing is not a hobby for me because she starts talking about like you know i used to play guitar i used to write songs i don't do that anymore i would love to do that and he's like no one's telling you not to do it when he says that thing which it's so mean yeah where he goes he goes if you took an eighth ounce of the energy that you put into bitching and moaning all the time You'd be you'd be the best songwriter in the world. He compares her to some famous songwriter. Yeah, and she walks out. Well, he yeah, it's not great because he calls her nuts and crazy a lot, and it's well, like and, don't oh, do that. This is this is what I wanted to remember. He does that thing that is definitely a a a sexist thing that's gone on for ages and ages. Where he goes, he goes, let me let. Can we be rational? Can you not be oh emotion filled? Yeah, because that's yeah. a thing throughout time. That's always like. The girl has all these emotions, and the guy is the one who can figure it out rationally. And what's so good about the writing, because he yeah. says that, and you're just like, oh, I want to hit you so hard right yeah. now. Yeah. And then later on, when they start talking about the logistics of moving to Chicago, like you mentioned earlier, they would the best they could probably get is custody every other weekend, and that amounts to maybe 30 days a semester of actually seeing his son. Yeah. Who's being rational? And she says that she's like, so you say you're being rational, but look, I've thought of she, and basically her saying that is like, she's thought about this and want, maybe even wanted to do it, but realized it didn't make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she has actually tried. Maybe yeah. she should have had that. Maybe they should have had that conversation together. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but, and they, they talk a lot about, like you had mentioned earlier, where she feels like he resents her for his divorce. Like she is the reason that broke up the family. Yeah. Which is not true. Uh huh. But also, it's very complicated. Obviously, like we've talked about. Yeah. And <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> she she just keeps saying like, I know you resent me and you don't like me because of I'm a terrible person that was a homewrecker. And it's just like he's like, I've never said those things. I've never thought those things. And she's like, you you never had to. That's just the reality. And that's why yeah. she hates the mom so much, the, his ex wife, because that's how she sees her. 
and it's just so wild and, wild and like really breaks your heart and you know she's talking about like you know i feel like you're complete always trying to keep me in some kind of box or i feel like i'm stuck a lot of the times which we talked a lot about mm-hmm. society's expectation of women and mothers um and oh no i'm losing my train of thought do you need me to hop in okay okay <laughs> it's, a, it's um, a big 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 well and and part of it is like they go from having these rational discussions, both of them, to having emotion-filled discussions, both of them, where mm-hmm. th- where they are doing, like, infantile insults. Like, she's saying, oh, you write in your stories all these romantic love scenes. You like to have sex the same way every night. You're no Henry Miller type. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You're not even... She basically says, like, you're not good in bed, and you're boring. I remember, too, what I was going to say. Go ahead. And that's wild what you said and what she said. Wild. Um... So she's saying that stuff about how it feels like he's really suffocating her by, yeah. by like expecting her to do certain things or fulfill certain roles. And he does bring up, I moved away from my son yeah. to be with you. I'm the one, you know, he's saying like, I'm the one that cut myself off from that part of my life to be with you. Yeah. Which of course she responds with, and I'm such a terrible person for making you do that, aren't I? And it's like she she wants him to scream at her that he does resent her, but that's yeah. not truly how he feels. Yeah. But that's something that she, I think, has not will never be able to let go of because yeah. she feels like she did that. Mm-hmm. Crazy. And uh, then we get to like the really intense thing where she says like, you know, I know what happened on that book tour and with yeah. Emily. And he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what the uh, uh, who. what are you talking about? And she's like, I never asked you. I don't need to know. You know, they they do have that whole thing that that I could never. I don't. I don't even understand someone with this thought process where they're like, they're like, it's not a big deal to me. It just happened, and I was able to compartmentalize it. That would crush my whole world if that happened to me. Yeah. But (laughs) you know, they've done that, and obviously, it is crushing their whole world as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But you know, she talks about how he cheated on her and he she's like tell me you you just have the guts to tell me you did and And he's like i'm not gonna give you the the satisfaction to disqualify disqualify me from this relationship and he's like i love you i with all of my heart and i will always love you and you can't disqualify me from that and he brings up that she went to hang out with her ex-boyfriend console him because his mother died for like a month or something like that no 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 an ex-boyfriend of hers mother died and she went to to console him yeah and he makes a bad joke or not even a joke he he really does a low blow of uh you probably did something with him there because that's just what french women do yeah, which is like not you. cool. But she also is it's it's like they probably did do both of those things. And he says, he's like, but I don't hold that against you. I know you're like a multifaceted person. Uh-huh. And it's like neither of you believe that. Yeah. You're both mad at the other person for that thing and you've never addressed it. Yeah. Ugh. Uh-huh. So then she Meanwhile, she's walking in and out of the room. She yeah. threatens to leave a lot. Yeah. And, and and then there is a point where it settles down and he like pours wine and then they get into it again. And I think we've already kind of discussed all the things they talked about. And then finally, she says, she walks out of the room, then she comes back in and she goes, um, 
you know what's going on here? It's simple. I don't love you anymore. And then she doesn't take the room key when she leaves this time. He walks out. Because like pretty much every time she had left, he kind of just sits down and like sighs. Yeah. And he's just like counting down the seconds until she's coming back. And this oh, time, never, it's like she, he expects her to come back. They've had this fight before, yes, they or have. these fights. They have. So Jordan, you brilliant little film watcher. So she leaves this time and she doesn't take the room key, and he does the same thing. Sighs if there longer time goes by, and it is just like another sigh of okay, this is real this time. Well, and great directing. He looks at the wine, not drunk. Mm. He looks at the bed where love was not made in. Mm. And then it cuts to the next scene. Yeah. And it's like, they're sitting in it. And for me, I think because this part of the movie is so explosive, I kind of forgot about the first part of the movie. Uh-huh. Because what's to come, this next scene is the last scene of the movie. Uh-huh. And it was like, was this movie an hour? <laughs> it felt so fast. So w- were you surprised when it said, like, directed by Richard Linklater? I, w- I mean, by the, by the end of the scene, I was like, oh, this feels like it would be a last scene. Yeah. Because what else is there to say? Yeah. And and they don't put neat bows on these movies because they don't have no. to. So, yeah, when the screen did cut to black, every once in a while in movies, when it's cut to black and it stays that way for a while, sometimes it does come back. That's and I was true. Like, maybe it's going to cut back to them uh, laying in bed together. Yeah. And then, it, then it's that. But of course not. No. So he goes up to her and he and he is like, Hey, uh, you look lonely. And he, he's like role playing that he's just meeting this person. Mm-hmm. And he goes through this whole thing of like, he's a time traveler mm-hmm. and he knows her when she's 85 and she sent him this letter. Mm-hmm. And in this letter, it's talking about how like, it's a letter from her older self to her, to this present self. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, he's just, and, and it's she's very funny. It's very funny. She's very closed off, mm-hmm. but she is giving a tiny bit, mm-hmm. like a fraction to this conversation. And then, um, you know, he says like, um, in, I, I don't remember what th- thing he says exactly, but he's like in Greece, it says here, PS in Greece, you had the, the greatest sex of your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why she included that. Yeah. And so he's doing his best. And then he kind of sits by her and well, then, then, then he gives up. He like crumples up the napkin. And is like, which is the note. Yeah. And it's just like, I give up. I don't know what to do anymore. And yeah. then she says something. Well, well, the, the movie, so it sits there for a little bit. Right. And, and you know, that whole conversation is pretty long. And my first time watching it, I'm like, when he crumples it up, I'm like, oh, oh, th- they're done, I guess. Yeah. And okay, that stinks, but this has been a wonderful, good movie. But, yeah. and then she says... So tell me about this time machine. Yeah. After he after that and then he's like, "Oh, well, it's all very complicated and stuff." And then she she does her bimbo impression again where she's like, "Oh, that's really interesting." Well, before that, What's though, the space-time aluminum? Because that's like when the camera starts yeah. panning back, not panning, backing up, whatever. Dollying. Dollying. Um before that though, you know, he's like, "I give up." There yeah. is a moment of silence, but he does say stuff about like I I love you and I will always love you. Basically, you know, it's it's you'd have to watch it. He's to really romantic, know you know. And he is telling her like he is saying like I don't know how much or I don't I don't know how to communicate it better than I love you. Yeah, and that has never changed since I've met you. And I'm sorry if that's not good enough, but that's all I that's all I know what to do mm-hmm. at this point. And then she starts 
getting into that role playing again. But when he's saying that, she's like about ready to lose it, crying wise. And she turns away from him. She doesn't want him to see her crying, you know, which is like, it's like, it's unintimate in a way. She's like closing herself off to that, him seeing her that vulnerable. Yeah. But then she says, you know, like, tell me about this time machine. Yeah. And then they start kind of joking around. The camera just pans out. Dolly's back, actually. You're right. Thank you. And uh, just keeps going. And then it cuts to black. And it says, directed by Richard Linklater. And something that's interesting is all of the movies end ambiguously. None of them end with a definite... That's really interesting. Another thing I noticed is that um, in the previous two movies, when they were strangers to each other, they are much more open than when they are no longer strangers. Absolutely. And now they're more closed off and they're not letting each other in. Well, I think, I think you know, we haven't been married for that long, so I, I don't really know. But yeah. to, to be to well, they're not married, but to be together with a person for that long. You know, so in those first two movies, it's fresh love both times. Right. And it is just like they're so open with each other because that's how they met was so open with each other. And especially with the first movie, I'm never going to see this person again. Mm-hmm. I'll tell them every nook and cranny. Yeah. Uh, but in this last movie, they've been together for some time now. Yeah. And I think when you when you're in a relationship for that long and clearly they have issues that they fight about often or maybe they don't fight about often. And when they fight about some things, they're really fighting about another thing but they never bring it up, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what this movie covers a lot of. And when, when you're with someone for that long, you do become closed off to them in certain ways. Yeah. Part of it is uh, you feel like maybe you're done figuring out who this person is. And you know this person so well that if you were going to tell them this thing, you would know how they would react. And you just want to avoid that feeling. Yeah. So I think that is like part of becoming closed off to a person. Mm-hmm. And then even like because you do have kids, there is less time for each other. So you just don't talk about things. Yeah. Period. It's good. Yeah. Do you, do you want to hear what I letterboxed uh, sure. for this movie? So first of all, I I for all of these movies, we have I give them 10 stars this time around. Wow. Um and this one I said, okay. So at this time in my life, this is my favorite franchise. It's perfect. Really? Yeah. Wow. It is. It is my it's, until we cover the Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Well, it's it's um. <laughs> I mean, I I I you know I love a ton of franchises, but um I can't I can't find a single thing that's um I don't like about these movies. Yeah, and it's such a unique movie. It's like I can compare Spider Man to superhero movies all day long. Yeah, I can't compare this to any other movies. Yeah, no. It's it is such I said it the last episode probably a hundred times, but it is such a miracle of films. It really is. It really truly is. It is among the most special and one of a kind. Yeah. And again, let's get Richard Linklater. When people are talking about the great directors of our time, of all time, listener, say, do you like Linklater? And have a conversation about Linklater because we need to start talking about this guy. And get more. him behind the wheel of a Marvel movie. No, no, because Absolutely it would be not. no action and people just discovering themselves. Well, that's true, <laughs> and I would love it. <laughs> um, but uh, that was also a joke. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you clarified. 
Um, you should do DCEU. <laughs> Maybe he can save it. So, okay, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Do you have anything else to say about this perfect movie franchise? Yes and no. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I hope that one day we will gather in this room or a different room and we will bring the the next movie, our, our analysis of the next movie. And I, I hope that they make a fourth. But they've all ended in such a way that's like, if that's it, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the deal, folks. It's June. And guess what? We did a really special, fun, different Patreon MPU the sequel episode. And that is on this weird movie called The Kid Who Would Be King. And my friend and I, Shane, who is guesting on the episode, uh, we just saw the trailers and we made fun of this movie like crazy. And then he bought me the movie on Blu-ray for Christmas. And I was like, this has got to be an episode. So that is out. I think it's going to be fun. I now think that we'll probably love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that is out now. And it's it'll only cost you $3 a month to uh, listen to the MPU, the sequel. Um, and it comes in a feed. It's great. Here's the other deal, folks. Guess what? Next week. We are covering the Detective Comics Extended Universe. The DC... D is for Detective? It is, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Detective Comics. Uh, We are covering, and we're starting with Man of Steel. We will not be covering Joker, and we will not be covering next year's The Batman unless we do special episodes for those. We are doing what they consider the DCEU, and we will also not be covering Zack Snyder's Justice League, although we will be talking a lot about it. Um, so next week, gear up for Man of Steel and and bone up on the material and maybe wa- rewatch some Marvels too because we are going to be referencing those because they are in direct competition and there is a lot of... Hey, if you like to hear us rant and talk... There is going to be a limitless supply of things to talk about in the next nine or ten episodes. I'm about to get real angry. Yeah. But what do we do? Every time we watch a movie, we we at least attempt to give it a fair shot. So when I sit down to watch Man of Steel, a movie that I've seen twice and actually liked both times, I'm going to try to like it. Well, I'm going to I'm going to try and watch it as it is. Sure. We'll see. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Um we really appreciate it and uh, share it with your friends and we love you guys and let us know what you thought of the before trilogy. Yeah. Um, you know, and I hope you watched it or you're planning on watching it. It's really special. It's the best. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.